0: Heine Brothers Coffee is committed to organics and fair trade, recycling, friendly, and relaxing shops, and a great cup of coffee. Now featuring coffees roasted in our headquarters and coffee roastery in Louisville's Portland neighborhood. If you're outside of Louisville, you can get coffee shipped to your door by ordering online at heinebroscoffee.com. That's H-E-I-N-E. B-R-O-S-C-O-F-F-E-E dot com. Heine Brothers Coffee, Louisville's neighborhood gathering place since 1994. Heine, 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 Heine Brothers Coffee, Heine Heine, 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 Heine Brothers Coffee, Heine. Holy cow, I told you to check out Kids Listen last month, and I'm doubling down today. The best and most creative and adventurous of kids podcasts, which are... As you know, the best opportunities for screen-free time to imagine, learn, and use your ears, well, they're all available now on the Kids Listen app at kidslisten.org. The mobile app, which parents will certainly come to love probably as much, eh, probably just a little bit less than their own children. Well, that's going to be showing up soon too, so get hip. And it's also Kids Listen Sweet Month. More information about that in just one second. Welcome to The Past and the Curious. I'm Mick Sullivan, the guy whose idea it was to make this whole mess. You love history, right? Well, if not, stick around. It's our hope that by the time we're done, maybe you will. So our Kids Listen group, the group of 30 or so podcasters creating awesome content for you and the adult or kid in your life, depending on your age have come up with a little old-school sweep like they used to do on the TV. We're all publishing shows around the same theme and plugging each other's great work. The theme, well, it's appropriate for summer vacationing. It's called Hittin' the Road, and I just wanted to plug my friend April 8, Songs and Stories. I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, and she's just up the road in Cincinnati, Ohio. Her episode, Charlie and Lucy on the Road, is a sing-along episode in which Charlie and his sister Lucy are disappointed to discover that their radio in their rental car doesn't work. So what can they do but sing old folk songs and play I Spy? It sounds fun. You ought to check it out. But I also need to give a huge shout-out to my favorite, entire family-produced book review slash dramatic interpretation show, which is often hilarious, always adorable, and makes me really excited for the day that my son is old enough to rope into this nonsense. It's called book power for kids created by appropriately enough, the power family, uh, their new episode, part of the kids listen sweep is called treasure hunters. And I listened to it today and it was, uh, absolutely delightful. I highly recommend it. Um, it should also be noted that the entire reason for this episode of the past and the curious is a result of one of the book, Power for Kids, Kids, questions. Uh, here she is right now.
1: Hi, I'm Lonnie, and I'm from Orlando, Florida. I was wondering, what's the story behind people barreling over Niagara Falls?
0: <laughs> That's an awesome question. Thank you so much for asking. It led to a really great story. And in short, uh, it's just totally crazy if you ask us. But there's probably more to it. And here's my friend, Victoria Ribel to fill you in.
2: Over the years, Niagara Falls, with its giant opening in the earth filled with incredible churning waters, has been like a magnet for daredevils. If you remember our episode about the great blondin, the fun ambulist, or tightrope walker who regularly thrilled people with his stunts at the falls, you'll begin to understand some of the crazy things people have done. For an audience, there's something thrilling about watching someone defy death and attempt a stunt that we ourselves might never try. It's probably always been this way. It's not hard to imagine a long-ago sailor thrilling his friends by jumping from two ships that are drifting wide apart, or an ancient explorer balancing on a fallen tree bridging two high cliffs. We're human, (laughs) and some of us are thrill-seekers. But in the late 1800s and early 1900s, it sure does seem like daredevils were trying to get attention all over the world, and in all different ways. During this time period, people heard about the first person to be shot out of a cannon, a woman who went by the name Zazzle, and worked for P.T. Barnum. They heard about the Great Blondin, or Kate Sandwina, and they heard about a host of other daring stunts people attempted hoping for attention and riches. Well, Annie Edson Taylor was no different in that regard. The 62-year-old woman heard all of these stories. The difference is that Annie wanted to try something like this for herself. Annie had seen some rough times. Coming from a large, poor family, she never had much money. Her husband had died in the Civil War, and she spent the following years traveling across the country as a schoolteacher. This wasn't earning her the money she needed at this point in her life. It wasn't looking like Annie would ever have the money to retire and live her late years in relative comfort, or at least ease. However, Annie wasn't ready to resign herself to that fate. Thinking of those daredevils, she began cooking up a stunt that she just knew would earn her enough money for the rest of her life, so long as she survived. No one had tried it and survived. She would be the first person to get into a barrel and ride over the treacherous 174-foot drop of Niagara Falls. Once she made up her mind, there was much to do in getting ready. She hired an agent, a man who could help her drum up press and attention for the stunt, while also helping work out logistics and hopefully help her make money after the big day. That way, she could focus on the task at hand, figuring out how to survive the fall. There was much to be done. First and foremost, she needed to get permission from the local government. After all, she was a teacher, and she wasn't going to break the rules. She also figured she'd need a suitable barrel. Her final choice came in the form of a 155-gallon pickle barrel. This thing was huge. At four and a half feet long, it was almost tall enough for her to stand upright while inside. It weighed 160 pounds and was made of dense, heavy Kentucky oak with iron barrel hoops. Inside, she held a cushion in place between the barrel top and her unhelmeted head. She also softened more of the inside with fabric and cushions, so when she tumbled the great distance, she didn't whack any body parts too hard on the unforgiving wooden inside. At the bottom, she put some weight, or ballast, so when she finally settled in the water below the falls, the bucket would right itself, and the top would float above the water, while the weighted side at her feet would settle towards the bottom. Now, before she was granted permission by local officials, she had to do a test run to prove the stunt would be safe. Brace yourselves, because this will seem cruel. Annie chose to put a cat in the barrel, which was sealed up and sent over the falls. It's an unpleasant thought, yes, but we're happy to report the cat made it over the falls safe and sound. Luckily for Annie, this was proof enough for her to receive her permission. It was on. So on October 24th, 1901, Annie Edson Taylor got in the same pickle barrel, which was now emblazoned with a new name, the Queen of the Mist. A large crowd assembled to watch the daring stunt. After a few waves and certainly a few nervous deep breaths, Annie was sealed in and taken by a small boat to be set in the current which would pull her over Niagara Falls. Oh, and you know what else is amazing? It was her 63rd birthday. As you might imagine, the ride to the falls was pretty nerve-wracking, but at 4.05 p.m., the barrel was seen at the lip of the falls, dangling on the edge and spinning over and over in the fierce water. It was doubtful Annie knew which way was up. She would figure that out when the barrel finally fell the 174 feet to the gurgling pool below. Imagine complete darkness. The roar of North America's most powerful waterfall pounding in your ears and a seeming never-ending fall that flips you and spins you in a dizzying whirr. Happy birthday, indeed! Fifteen minutes later, the barrel was spotted and retrieved near the Canadian side of the falls. The lid was removed, and inside, no worse for the wear, was a relieved Annie Edson Taylor. She took a deep breath, and relief washed over her. Now she could only hope the fame and fortune would follow her dramatic stunt. Some stunt people, the ones who live for the thrill, are often energized by their drastic feats. Not Annie. Speaking soon afterward to the press, she said this. If it was my dying breath, I would caution anyone against attempting the feat. I would sooner walk up the mouth of a cannon, knowing it was going to blow me to pieces than make another trip over the fall. So did fame and fortune find her after the fall? Not really. It's kind of a sad tale. She was regularly at the Niagara Falls area, which was a huge tourist destination. Visitors could have their photo taken with the brave woman with her famous pickle bucket. She planned to tour and give dramatic recounting of her feat, but her manager turned out to be a shyster or a crook. He stole her pickle barrel and disappeared. Much of her money was spent trying to find him and the barrel. It was once located in Chicago, but soon disappeared before she could recover it. After that, was lost to history, never to be seen again. She was able to get her notoriety, but she never found the riches she desired. Reportedly, when she was pulled from the barrel, her first words were, nobody ought to ever do that again. That would not be the case. 15 people followed her lead throughout the 1900s, and not all of them survived. Today, the commission that oversees Niagara Falls allows one official stunt of any variety to be performed only once a generation or every 20 years. The last stunt was Nick Wallendon's Tightrope Walk in 2012.
0: We have a batch of stories from the past that we've just kind of been sitting on. And this next one is one of those. We haven't found the perfect match for it, and even though it doesn't really fit the Kids Listen sweeps theme. It is related to the one you just heard about Annie Edson Taylor. Now, we've wanted to share it for a while, so this seemed appropriate to us. It takes place about 50 years in the same location, Niagara Falls, which is certainly a place thousands of families will be road tripping to this summer, so maybe that's the tie-in. It's about solving a big problem in a creative way with something very small. Niagara Falls is over 800 feet across from the Canadian side to the American side. And standing on the edge of the cliff, looking down 250 feet or more, you'd see the swirling water smashing against rocks and creating menacing whirlpools below. But even in 1848, people wanted to cross from America to Canada with ease. When it was decided to build a suspension bridge across the Great Chasm, to connect the two railroad lines, people knew it was going to be a tough job. How do you build a bridge so high above dangerous water? People couldn't work from the ground due to the height and the turbulent water below. It was decided to begin with a giant iron cable, thick and strong enough to support the weight of many, many people. These people would be working from baskets that would hang from the cable. And this cable, as thick as a grown man's leg, would also wind up as part of the bridge, but first it must be safely secured on both the Canadian and American shores. Just how do you get a heavy, thick cable 800 feet across the deadly water of Niagara far below? You can't throw it. It's incredibly heavy, and as it's stretched out over that 800 foot gorge, gravity pulls really hard. One man working on the project suggested tying wire to a cannonball and firing that from America to Canada. But it would not be international ballistics that would win the day. In the end, the bridge designer, George ellet agreed to a novel idea. A prize of $5 would be given to the first boy to fly his kite all the way across the gorge and secure his dinky little kite string. Even if you're not an engineer, surely you realize that that kite string is nowhere near as thick as bridge cable. But there was a plan. In the biting cold of January, hundreds of boys gathered at the edge and set their kites to the sky. Now, it is obviously unfair that bridge designers did not invite any girls to be a part of this unusual event. But we would like to believe that a few girls who knew they were just as capable as any of those boys defied the rules, and sailed their kites anyway. Sadly, we don't have any evidence as to this matter. In the end, a young boy named Homan Walsh succeeded in getting his kite across with his string safely secured to each side of Niagara Falls. Homan collected his $5, which was a lot of money, in 1848. Then the bridge builders set to work. And this is the cool part. Another string ever so slightly thicker, was tied to the end of the kite string, and together they were pulled across the gorge. When all of the original kite string had made it across, and the string that hung over Niagara Falls was completely the second, thicker string, another, thicker string was tied to the end of that second string. As the rope was pulled over the gorge, the newer, thicker piece was held securely by the slightly smaller string preceding it. Now, if they put too thick of a rope on, the weight of 800 feet of that rope would break the thin one that was doing the pulling. So all day long, they attached thicker and thicker rope, pulling each new thickness slowly across Niagara until, finally, a multi-strand iron cable was in place and stabilized on the American and Canadian sides. The cable was safe enough to support a hanging cart which could move across the entire 800 foot expanse. Of course, before the bridge construction began in earnest, the novelty of the cable was capitalized upon and rides in the basket were sold for $1 per crossing. People lined up for days for such an unusual thrill. And eventually they would build that bridge, the one that would carry steam engine trains between the two countries. And it was a marvel of engineering But it all began with a little boy's kite string. And perhaps that's something we should all remember. Sometimes the biggest accomplishments start in the smallest of ways. So I wasn't gonna do a song this week. We were actually gonna do a special interview that we had lined up, um, which I'm just gonna keep in my pocket and save. Uh, I decided to do this song because I have always loved this song and I always thought it would be a good fit for the show. Just never found the right episode for it. But this makes sense. When you hear this song, you probably think a cowboy is riding out west. And that seems like uh, hitting the road because it's all about getting away from your regular life and living the good life. Living the adventurous life. Now, it's not actually a cowboy song. It was actually written by a New Yorker, a man named Cole Porter, a very famous songwriter who wrote many, many, many songs. And the song is called Don't Fence me in.
1: Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Let ride through the wide open country that i love don't fence me in i want to be by myself in the evening breeze listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees send me off forever but i ask you please don't fence me in Just turn me loose Let me straddle my old saddle Underneath the western sky On my Cayuse, Let me wander over yonder Till I see the mountains rise I want to ride to the ridge Where the west commences Gaze at the moon Till I lose my senses I can't stand hobbles And I don't like Fences Don't fence me in moon until I lose my senses. I can't stand hobbles and I don't like fences. So don't fence me in. Don't fence me in. Don't fence me in.
0: Thank you for listening. Now please go to iTunes and leave us a great review. You know, five stars. Uh, Also visit us on patreon.com forward slash the past and the curious and throw us some dough so that we can grow this project. It's already going far better than we expected and your help would be tremendous. Speaking of help, I have to give a Patreon shout out to one of my absolute favorite young history lovers. Thank you, Lucy Isaacs.
1: Yes, thank you, Lucy!
0: Lucy is a wonderful kid who I've gotten to spend a lot of time with in my job at the Fraser History Museum in Louisville, Kentucky. And she and her family just became Patreon patrons. Hey, Lucy, why don't you come on the show sometime soon, eh, buddy? And that goes for the rest of you, too. Maybe you have a question like our friend Lonnie did. Who knows? It might lead to a fun episode. In the meantime, check out kidslisten.org for more. Thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you next month with a lot more History fun. Be nice. Learn stuff. Share it.